Ephesians chapter 5, and we're beginning to read in verse 1 this evening. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is a shameful, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. Lovely. Well, it's uh, lovely to be able to turn to this topic tonight, knowing God's will. And uh, let me mention, as we've been uh, in the habit of doing, a couple of books that uh, you'll find useful. Uh, one old classic that's been around for a long time is by Sinclair Ferguson called, uh, I think, Discovering God's Will. And the other is a more recent book by Kevin DeYoung called Just Do Something. And uh, lots of what we're looking at tonight comes out of particularly Kevin DeYoung's book. Um, this is something that we've looked at before in Hill Street. If you've been here for a number of years, you'll maybe find some of this familiar. But it's one of those things that we want to drop into every uh, couple of years, probably. We haven't done it uh, for five or six, but uh, every few years. And just remind ourselves, how is it that we know what God wants us to do. Uh, years ago, I was involved in Christian Union, I hardly believe that, in university. And, and one of the things that uh, uh, people would have often asked for whenever we were looking at seminars and topics and so on 
was this question of guidance. Guidance was the key, key issue for so many people. How can I know God's will? And that's not surprising because at that stage, uh, 20-somethings, lots and lots of big decisions were being made. What courses should I choose? Uh, What career should I pursue? Uh, Should I get married and to whom? And uh, of course, big decisions are not limited to students uh, or to a particular time in our lives. We all face decisions all of the times, and uh, those uh, decisions have a course, have the, 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 the potential to set us down a particular course or direction that will shape us for, for, for years. I remember uh, really being struck with this. I, I only remember two poems from, from school. Uh, one was... Uh, Gas, gas, quick boys in ecstasy of fumbling. Do you remember uh, Wilfred Owen's war poems? And, and the other was Robert Frost, two roads I diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And, and, and it was just that picture as a 16, 17-year-old, when, when I had cho- choices to make, wh- what path would my life take? And, and we have that sense sometimes. And if we're honest, sometimes that sense of, of not knowing what way the future is going to go and wanting to be in the, the right path as far as God is concerned, sometimes that can be a crippling thing. And, and that's why I think uh, Kevin DeYoung has called his book, Just Do Something. He, he's, he's not saying, sit back and, and, and wait. He says, just do something. Don't stand at the junction forever, but actually just do something. It says in Ephesians 10, we, Ephesians 5.10 that we read it, find out what pleases the Lord. What a wonderful uh, injunction to be given. Find out what pleases the Lord. How do we do that? How do we make good uh, decisions? Well, it's difficult for us at times because you, you'll find that, that there are particular pressures for us in our generation that weren't really there in others. And that's why there's been perhaps such a proliferation of books and seminars and so on on this whole question of guidance. If you look back at some of the the, the Christians who have gone before us, you'll find that this isn't a topic that that particularly dominates their thinking. And, And probably there are a number of reasons for that. First of all, we live at a time when we have so many choices. We are sometimes paralyzed by choice. If we had lived a few centuries ago, we would have had a very limited education. We wouldn't have had many courses from which to choose. We would have had a very ordinary diet. We wouldn't be asking the question, what should I get? What what recipe should I follow for our meals tonight? Uh, We wouldn't have traveled very much Uh, We wouldn't have had to make big decisions about our career because we would probably have gone into the same work that our father was in. If he'd worked in the mill, we'd have worked in the mill. If our mother had worked in in, in the mill, we'd have worked in the mill. We would have not had the big decisions to make about who to marry because we'd have married the girl and the only other girl in the village, whether she had all her teeth or not, and, and uh, you would have just had to, to do that. And, and so, there, there, there wasn't a whole uh, industry of books about, about guidance. And things, of course, now are very, very different. We have incredible opportunities, and sometimes that is paralyzing. And we have this question, does God have a particular course for me to follow? 
and how should I find it? So there's, there's the fact that we've got lots of options. That makes it a little bit challenging for us. And then there's the fact, I think, that we've, many of us come, come through a sort of a culture with, I would want to suggest, some wrong teaching in this area. A whole series of, of emphases that are not particularly biblical. It's giving us a wrong expectation, it, and it's based on the idea that God has a, a mysterious, specific, detailed will for your life that you are somehow responsible to uncover. And if you miss that, you're not in His will. You're in some sort of second best, and you're, you're maybe sinning, you're maybe disobedient, and you find yourself in that path from here on in. And, and, and the whole teaching that's grown up around that is, is how you uncover that. It's maybe through a whole combination of words from the Lord and verses that jump out at you and hunches and, and signs in your cornflakes and all sorts of, of incredible things. Kevin DeYoung, in, in his book, Just Do Something, mentions um, a John Eldridge. He, he, he wrote a book called Wild at Heart. It was quite popular for a while. And he, he talked about uh, asking the Lord, should he go camping or horse riding? And he went horse riding, and he fell off his horse. And uh, he concluded that uh, if he had asked the Lord, if he, he did ask the Lord that he should, if he should go riding or camping, but he hadn't asked what direction he should go whenever he took the horse out. And, and that was why he had the accident. Now, can you see that there's a, whole, there's a whole sort of philosophy, a whole theology that underlines that sort of practice? First of all, that he needs to seek God's will, whether he goes camping or, or horse riding, and that if he is in God's will, things will go well for him, and if he's out of God's will, well, he'll fall off his horse, you see. Now, now you can see that that's a pretty extreme sort of viewpoint, but, but lots of Christians are in this whole sort of position where they're really not sure how to find God's will, and they're expecting some special direction on the job that they should do, or who, should, who should they should marry, or where they should live, all those sorts of things. Well, <clears throat> we've been thinking in some of our evenings about the fact that God is sovereign, and it's useful for us then tonight to, to revisit this whole question of the will of God. And whenever we think about the will of God, we, we really need to think about God's will, which is a phrase that we use very, very often, but we need to think about it in a couple of diff different ways. Because first of all, there is God's sovereign will. Now, we'll, uh, say it, uh, we've, we've said a fair wee bit about that over some of our Sunday evenings, but uh, here we are. I think we've got a little slide that says there are, yeah, two wills of God, uh, God's sovereign will. So, there's sometimes we call it God's sovereign will or His secret will or His will of decree. And, and then there are other, there's another will of God called His moral will or His revealed will. So, let's think about, about God's sovereign will. Now, now this is where we, we understand that God is sovereign over all things. Nothing happens that God does not allow. And, and in this sense, and we have to get our heads around this, but in this sense, both good and evil events are part of God's sovereign will. So, He… he he rules over, as, as Kevin DeYoung says, 
uh, nature and nations, animals and angels, spirits and Satan, wonderful people and wicked people, even disease and death. God is sovereign. Ephesians 1 and uh, verse 1 says, or 1 and 11 says, in Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. So, you can see that this is a reference to God's sovereign will. One of the ways that we sometimes end up talking about God's sovereign will is whenever we talk about providence. So, in our shorter catechism, we talk about providence in this way. It says, what are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. So, God's, God's in control. God's in charge. The Heidelberg Catechism puts it absolutely beautifully. Here's, here's what it says. Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which He upholds, as with His hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but from His fatherly hand. So, God's will, sovereign will, cannot be thwarted. He's in charge, all things under His control. But here's the thing. It's called His secret will for a reason. Normally, we will not know God's sovereign will for our lives ahead of time. That is not God's purpose to reveal to us His sovereign will for our lives ahead of time. But there's also then whenever we think about God's will, there's also God's moral will, His revealed will, or His will of desire sometimes we talk about. And this is really what God wants, what God reveals that He wants. It's what He reveals in terms of what He wants things to be like. So, for example, the Ten Commandments. God wants us to avoid worshiping other gods. He wants us to honor our parents. He wants us to avoid stealing and so on. And, and the will of God is used in, in that way. In fact, that's really the way it's found there in Ephesians, find out what pleases the Lord, what uh, is, is uh, to God's pleasure and glory. Uh, it, that's the way it's being referred to there. It's His moral revealed will. It's the life that God wants us to live. So, for example, in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus is speaking, and He says, not everyone who, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, there's a reference to the revealed will of God. It's saying you can, you can spot Christians by their obedience to the revealed will of God, to the moral uh, revealed will of God. Now, we could very profitably uh, have a, a, an evening trying to work out how those two things uh, fit together, the sovereign will of God and the moral will of God. Well, in fact, it might not be all that profitable because sometimes it just leads us into uh, frustration because we come up against our own limitations so very, very quickly because we are so finite and, and, 
and limit it. Because in the Bible, both of these things sit side by side without apology or embarrassment and really without an awful lot of explanation. It's almost as if the Bible is saying, look, this is the way it is. You're not going to understand this, but this is how it is. So, for example, just to underline this, it is God's moral will, His revealed will, that people would love God with all their hearts, minds, and soul, and strength, and their neighbors as themselves. It's God's revealed will. And yet, it is also His sovereign will that determined that His Son would be killed, would be murdered for the salvation of others. You see how these two things sit alongside each other without apology in the Scriptures, and so there are deep mysteries here. Now, what our responsibility is, is to, is to follow the revealed will of God. It's to say, what has God said? How can we obey Him? That's our purpose and our calling. And beyond that, there really aren't very many biblical injunctions to, to seek God's will for specific things. There are sometimes whenever the apostles do that, for example, but, but by and large, they, they make plans, they, they do what seems reasonable to them, and they go from one place to the next without waiting for specific guidance. Sometimes, whenever they're not looking for specific guidance, God steps in and calls them to do certain things, like Philip going to, the, to meet with the Ethiopian eunuch, or, or Paul going over to, to, a, the, to Macedonia. But, but by and large, we're, we're not encouraged to, to seek out what may be God's sovereign will for our lives. Bruce Waltke, a scholar, says this, God never calls us in the New Testament to seek His will, but rather to seek His kingdom and to do His will. The assumption there is that His will has been revealed to us. It's clear to us. Now, <clears throat> um, I want to suggest to you, therefore, tonight, that, that if you've been thinking about God's will as a sort of a tightrope, that you've got to walk along really, really carefully, and there's every danger that you're going to fall off one side or the other, that it's really not like that at all. It's much more like a road uh, with hedges inside which you are free to move. So, you see the picture? Uh, I think. Uh, there we are. Yes. So, it's not like the guy with the briefcase on the tightrope. It's like the road with the, the fences. And uh, as we walk along that road, we seek to be obedient to the Lord, and we look back and we say, do you know what, Lord? Uh, you've guided me all the way. Well, let's try and take some practical steps as to to what this means. Four, four, four practical steps. Here they are. First of all, we've got to remember God's purpose for our lives. Remember God's purpose for our lives. What is God's purpose for our lives? In other words, where's the road that we're traveling along? Where's it leading? Well, the Bible tells us very clearly what God's will for us is. It does that in a number of different places. So, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3, Paul says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, holy. So, here's where God is taking us. Whatever situation you find yourself in, whether you have a choice to go riding your horse or camping, you know that it is God's will for you to be holy. He wants you to be 
godly. And the pattern that we have for that is Jesus himself. He is the, the perfect and the holy one. And, and that theme of, of following the holy one is picked up in Scripture too. Romans 8, 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. The, the, the whole purpose of God in calling out a people for himself is that he would make them like Jesus. So, if you have a decision to make, you ask the question, what, what is God's will for me? Well, one of the answers to that is that I would be like Jesus, that I would be holy. One of the other places that God's will is explicitly set out for us in this way is, is 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives thanks in all circumstances. He's, he's the, the one who's thankful before His Father, and we are to do the same. We're to be holy like He was. Now, often it has been, it has to be said, when we're thinking about God's will and, and, and looking for God's will and following God's will, we're not thinking about that ultimate destination. We're asking, should I take this job? Should I move my house? Should I do this or should I do that? And often what we're actually asking as we're thinking about that is, Lord, will this work out better for me than that path? Will I fall off my horse if I go that way? Or will I stay on my horse if I go that way? And, and you see, what we need to do is that those questions need to matter much less than this bigger question, which we do know the answer to, and that is whether I move house or not, whether I change jobs or not, I know that it is God's will for me to be like Jesus. So, so that's one of the really key things to, to underline and actually uh, to want and so, if we're praying to the Lord and saying, Lord, I, I really want you to lead me forward in, in whatever way I'm going to go here, part of the, the, the commitment that we want to bring to the Lord is to say, Lord, whatever ends up happening, I want to be more like you. I want to get to know you better. So, remember God's purpose for your life. And then the second thing, and here's where we start to understand the, the, the practicalities, is obey God's instructions. Obey God's instructions. So, so the Bible, if the Bible is, is not saying that there is one detailed path that you must find and follow to make sure that you do not stray for it, if it's not saying there's a tightrope, what is it saying about how we're to live and the decisions that we're to take? Well, as we said earlier, the, the picture is of a, a road with fences, and the fences mark out the boundaries of what we are limited to. But inside those fences, we are free to choose with the wisdom that God has given us, and indeed in conjunction with others. So, let's think about the fences. What are the fences? Well, this is where, where God says, as, an, as a follower of mine, you must be on the inside of this fence. So, for example, do not steal. It's very clear, isn't it? There's the, there's the line in the fence. There's the, the command from the Lord. 
do not uh, harbor bitterness and so on. And these things are, are, are boundaries inside which we must operate. There are not things that we ask God guidance for because we already know what He has said. So, you don't go into Tesco's tomorrow night and load up your trolley and get sort of somewhere near the exit and start to pray, Lord, guide me. Should I pay for this or not? It is God's revealed will that He has already said, do not steal. Do you see? There are fences. There are boundaries. And, and, and so, the fences are, are defined by what God says is wrong. God says, this is not acceptable. Outside of this, it, it's not acceptable. It's outside of His revealed character and His, His, His moral law for us. But, but inside of that, if God has not spoken about it, then we are free to choose. And as we remember that, that God's purpose for our lives, we're, we're thinking, what can I do to, to help me be more like Jesus here? So one of the pictures that we've we've used before is is of of golf and a fairway, and this is going to work for some of us and and maybe for others it's not. So I was chatting to Colin and Nigel there about playing golf before uh, the service. We were playing playing golf yesterday, and uh, if you know, if you walk around the back of Lurgan Park and you're walking uh, past the lake and the golf course is on your right hand side, there are people hitting golf balls just by your ear, and uh, that's the ninth hole going up. Check that. It's a ninth hole going back up to the, the fairway. So, Colin and Nigel are on the tee box of the ninth fairway. It is out of bounds and illegal and all sorts of golf awfulness to hit the ball left and to hit it into the park. We're really glad about that whenever we're walking up that path. And I think to the right, is the right out of bounds as well? No, the right's not out of bounds. So, you can actually play up the eight or something, I think, and you can play back up to the, or the first, actually, you can play up the other way. Not a great idea, because there are balls coming towards you. But, but within that, as long as you don't go over that fence, then there are all sorts of options as to how you get from the, uh, the tee box uh, to the green. You can play up the left so that you can, you don't have to chip over a bunker, or you can play up the right because it gives you a, a, an easier shot into the green. And there are wisdom questions, and, and, and the golfers will say to each other, what do you think I should do here? I'd, of course, what you think you should do and what you actually do are two different things, but, 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 uh, but nevertheless, you, you, there, there's, there's a wisdom question about how you should do it. But it's all legal, and you can get a good score, in a sense, whichever way you go. There's wise routes up the fairway within the fences, but none of them are wrong. Well, what about within the fences, whenever we have options? Well, here we get to this third thing. Apply godly wisdom. So, how does someone choose within the fences? Well, th three things to say. It's on the next slide, I think. A scripture, a strengths, and circumstances. A lot, a lot of things we could say about this. But first of all, we do, we do ask about Scripture. Just let's make sure. Are we definitely within a, the, 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 the Scriptures? Has God said anything about this? Well, if, if He hasn't, then, then what about our strengths? Are there particular things that, that God has gifted us in? Let's say it's a job opportunity. Does this really fit with us? Does this fit with with the things that, that we're both passionate about, with the things that we're good at, 
God is sovereign over those things. He, he's made us the people that He's made us. He's given us the education and the experience that, that has brought us to this point. Are, are these things that, that are going to, to fit with who God has, has made us? What about circumstances? Is this, oh, that's not even spelled properly, but is, is, this, is this something that, that, that seems wise to do at this time? So, so for example, I was just a reading the other day of, of someone who had a, 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 a great job promotion opportunity, but their wife had just had a, a little baby, a newborn, and they thought it over and they talked it over, and, and the extra money would have been really useful. But he had ended up going to his boss and said, look, here's my circumstances at the moment. I'm really grateful to be considered for this role. But I know that this would put a particular pressure upon us as a couple whenever we have some extra pressures in our home. So, for now, if it's okay, I'm just going to stay where I am. I'm going to pass up this opportunity. The, the circumstances seem to suggest something uh, that wisdom was able to determine. So, you see, normally God asks us, expects us to ask Him for wisdom, to be obedient to what He tells us, to stay within the fences, to desire to please Him, and then to choose. And there, there might be times whenever he, he, he puts something on our hearts in a particular way. We might call this some sort of subjective leading. Maybe he, he puts a, a burden on our hearts in some way. But, but that's not the, 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 the normal way in Scripture, nor is it the normal way with us. When, when God stepped in like that in the Bible, as we suggested earlier, it was, it was often when people were not looking for it rather than when they were. God always came to them. And of course, if God speaks to us like that, or we think He has, we must know it will never contradict anything that He says in His Word. So, for example, whenever um, a number of years ago, I remember hearing someone who, who was a pastor in a church and he, he, he stood up and he said, you know, I really believe that me and my wife have been having some problems, and I, I, I really believe that he has led me to walk away from this relationship, and I'm starting this new relationship with somebody else. He, he clearly was not being led by the Lord because he had crossed the fences, and he was attributing guidance to God where God had already spoken and he was clearly out of God's will. So, a, using godly wisdom. And then the last thing just there is to remember our family, because guidance is not a, a solitary pursuit. We are here together as God's people, and so God has put other Christians in our lives, and we don't see all the blind spots that we have, and so we seek counsel, and we say, what do you think I should do about this? Is this a good thing to do, do you think? Does this, does this seem wise to you at the moment? Would you, would you pray for me in, in, in this? Others know us better than we know ourselves at certain points, so remember your family. Okay, let, let, let's try and earth this with a few examples. We realize that we're, we're being hopefully practical, but let's try and earth this with a few examples as we finish. So, student doing their A-levels, and they're in that position of having to apply for a college or a university. Does this student have to think, 
I know there is only one right course out there for me, God. Help me to find it. Otherwise, my life will be a disaster. I'll be out of your will, and all sorts of horrible things will happen. No, they, they, they do not. They, they know that the Bible does not say that one college is more appropriate than another, and so they are free to choose. And they know that if they go to Queens and they can live for Jesus there, if they go to Ulster University, they can live for Jesus there. And, and either is perfectly appropriate for them to do so. So they should not be paralyzed about, about thinking that one is particularly God's will for them and one is not. God has a plan, but, but He has not revealed that to us normally. Let's take another situation. Doctor, trainee doctor, coming up to that point where they're looking for roles and for jobs, and, and there's a particularly lucrative uh, offer of working with a pregnancy advice service. Uh, some of their colleagues are going into this to do a little bit of extra work. It will mean a lot of difference financially, but they know it will involve them in the abortion uh, industry. So, what does that young doctor do? Well, she, she, she knows that in this occasion, there are some fences. The Bible speaks about the sanctity of life. It, it, it speaks about not killing and so on. And so, and so the, the, the job that would require them to do that, those things are, are, are really ruled out for them. But, but all other options are open. They're, they're free to choose and to say, well, what does God give me a passion for? What am I good at? Am I good with older people or younger people or surgery or whatever it might be? God will be with that young doctor in, in whichever of the options she chooses as she seeks to honor him within the fences. So, she shouldn't be paralyzed. Let's take another example that, that's fairly clear and often relevant to, to younger folk. A, a younger person deciding who they should marry. And so, the, the, the first question is, well, does Scripture speak on this issue? And absolutely, it does. It establishes for us some really firm fences, some boundaries that mark the limits that if we go over them, we've moved into disobedience. So, for example, in the first marriage in Genesis, we see that marriage is between one man and one woman. Previous generations wouldn't have needed to have pointed that out. But, but, but we do in our world today. In other words, the person that we marry must be of a different sex to you are. That's the first out of bounds as far as God's Word is concerned. But then the fences move in a little bit further because a marriage partner ought to be available to be married. In other words, they ought not to be married to someone else. And if they were married before and are now divorced, their, their divorce ought to have taken place for, for biblical reasons like adultery or desertion. And then the, the fences move in a little bit further. It's, it's that question of being equally yoked, as the Bible talks about. In other words, that, that, that a Christian ought to marry someone who shares that same faith commitment that they do. They should marry a Christian too. It, it's that extra boundary line. And so, other than that, opposite sex, available to be married, same faith commitment, the Bible doesn't tell us anything else about who we should marry. Within those boundary lines, we are free to choose according to the wisdom that God provides. And so, if we want to be married and we find ourselves 
attracted to somebody perhaps. There are all sorts of wisdom questions that we can ask and that we can talk to our friends about or our family. What qualities ought I to look for in a life partner? Remember what, what God's great purpose is for us. It is to be holy. Do, does this person help me to get to know God better? Do, do they draw out from me a desire for a greater commitment to the Lord Jesus? Are there areas of, of difference in outlook that are a concern for us? Because marriage will tend to intensify those rather than minimize those. Those are good wisdom questions. And as we said, there are all sorts of benefits in bringing trusted friends in on those decisions. What do those who know us both honestly think? So, you see these wisdom questions. Does God have someone in mind for me to marry sovereignly? Well, if His purpose is for you to marry, then yes, He does, but, but He's not going to send that to you in an envelope or an email. How about a job promotion? Does Scripture speak about that? Well, as long as the job doesn't mean going against anything that a Christian would not be able to, to, to do legitimately, then it's within the fences. What about our, 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 our giftedness, our strengths? Would I be able to do this job? Does it, does it suit the, the person that God has made me and shaped me to be? Circumstances. Would this work within my circumstances just now? For example, if my, if my uh, time was really under pressure, would this demand more of me? Would this be good for my, my mental well-being? If it involved me moving away from, from this area, is there a good church that I could plug into and be be exported and fed? What would it mean for my, my family? And, and then remember our strategy. What is it I'm here for? What am I living for? Would this help me be a disciple of Jesus? Are there opportunities here? Or would it mean that my work owned me and gave me little time to be involved with other believers or to be a witness with other people? You see, these are the sorts of questions that we, we need to ask. And so, we come back to uh, Kevin DeYoung's title for his book, Just Do Something. We don't find ourselves paralyzed with fear over God's will. God has spoken and told us how He wants us to live. Did you notice in that passage that we read from Ephesians chapter 5, there was just so much about how God wanted us to live, references to God's will because these are the revealed will of God to, to, uh, uh, to, to walk in His ways, to, to get on with the business of seeking Him and being obedient to Him, and asking that as we get on with that, that He will guide our steps and that we'll find ourselves walking in His plans and purposes for us all our days.